Thank you for tuning in to the Forum on Workplace Inclusion 2023 podcast series. If you enjoy our podcasts, check out our interactive webinar series too. To learn more, visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash webinar. Registration is free. Here at the Forum, we get to engage people, advance ideas, and ignite change because of the generous support from our community. If you find our resources meaningful or valuable, please consider supporting the forum today. Visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash donate. That's forumworkplaceinclusion.org slash donate. Thank you very much for your support. With that, I'd like to say a thank you to all of our listeners and subscribers. You help support the growth of the podcast and help us reach new listeners. If you like what you're hearing on the forum podcast, please consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've already written a review, thank you. Please consider sharing our podcast with a friend or family member or a colleague you think might find value in the content. Word of mouth is the best way the forum grows. Thank you very much for listening and sharing. Now, enjoy the show. Hello, and thank you for tuning into the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast series. I'm Ben Rue, Program Manager here at the Forum. We're really looking forward to today's podcast, Transgender Inclusion, What Does It Mean, Why Does It Matter, and What Can You Do, with Ben Green of BG Trans Talks. In this podcast, this human will share his story as an openly transgender man who came out at 15, one of the first to do so in his entire town. Despite being a rapidly growing group of over 3 million individuals, trans, non-binary, and gender non-conforming people are often left out of the DEI efforts and conversations. After reviewing what it means to be transgender and all of the language that comes up in these conversations, we'll discuss issues facing the transgender community in the workforce and the world at large, why it matters to be proactive about your company, and what your organization can do to create a safe, supportive environment for all people. Listeners will gain a strong understanding of what it means to be transgender or non-binary, understand the importance of active allyship in all scenarios, even and especially when there isn't a transgender person around, and feel equipped to be active allies and champions for transgender and LGBTQ plus people in all areas of life. As one of the only two transgender people in his hometown, Ben Green has always been the designated educator. After giving a successful TEDx talk in 2019 called Where Are You Sitting?, he decided to go into education and advocacy full-time and now works as a public speaker and LGBTQ plus inclusion consultant. Since graduating from Brandeis University in the summer of 2020, he has spoken in many different domains at HR conferences like Disrupt HR and the SHRM Annual Conference, school training sessions for religious and secular high schools, DEI summits like Diversity Live in the UK and Pitt Diversity Forum 2021, higher education institutions including Washington University Medical School and the Cornell School of Industrial and Labor Relations, government agencies including NASA, legal organizations including Lowenstein, Sadler, and Eckhard Siemens, and internal events for global corporations including FactSec, AXAXL, and Northwestern Mutual. He also sits on the advisory board of a global branding firm and of the Tufts University Master's Degree in Diversity and Inclusion. He is passionate about educating others from a place of compassion, no matter where they're starting from. 
Hi, Ben. Thank you so much for being here and being part of our 2023 podcast series. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I, yeah, and I'm really excited about this topic because if you've watched the news lately, it's a very, very timely topic. Um, or, you know, if you're not living under a rock, um, you know that this is a very timely topic. Um, but before we get, jump into the questions, why don't you tell us a little bit about your, a little bit more about yourself and why you do like why you do the work that you do. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Ben Green. I use he, him pronouns. I'm a transgender man, public speaker, inclusion consultant, and I have been doing this work informally since I came out when I was 15. And, you know, I do this work because when I came out, I was one of the first people ever to come out in my town. And so everything immediately fell to me to do the education. I had Mm -hmm. to be the Gay Straight Alliance. I had to teach the health classes and train the guidance staff and write our policies. And at the time, it was really cool. And looking back on it, it was really sad that I had to kind of grow up immediately, be prepared to build these support systems around me as I was realizing I needed them. So I, I say that, you know, I felt like I jumped out of a plane with a tarp and a sewing kit. And now I get to be the parachute factory. So as an adult, my full-time job and my passion is building those supportive systems and building structures and teaching people what it means to be trans so that whenever any other trans or queer person or anyone walks through the world, they just get to be supported and live as they are. They don't have to build any of those systems because they're already there. So that's, you know, I'm just so passionate about making sure that no one has to go through the things that I went through. Be who you needed when you were younger is a phrase that I really live by. That is really amazing. Um, it reminds me, uh, I'm so I'm the board vice chair of a nonprofit called Queer Space Collective, which is basically big brothers, big sisters, but for queer youth. So it's a mentorship program where we pair queer youth ages 12 to 17 with queer adults um, or LGBTQ plus adults um, that identify as them, as the same as them, and um, ideally also racially this, um, the same. But like most predominantly are the kids we work with are trans or non-binary or um, and, you know, their parents, God love them, come to us and just like, you know, I love my kid. I want to support them, but I don't really know how, you know, as a cis straight person, I, you know, and and so, um, so yeah, we've worked with them to pair them so that, so again, no one has to have that experience of like, you know, building, you know making their own parachute as they're jumping out of the plane and also just to have like a friend for them um because that is such a difficult age and i can't imagine doing that at 15 all of that by yourself yeah there's this poem that i think about a lot that's called i think it's called the first trans poem and it's like every poem is the first trans poem every story is the first trans story or the first time to do this and yeah. because we lose so much of our history and we don't, we, it's hard for us to find each other sometimes. A lot of people think that they're doing things for the first time or doing things yeah. alone. And having that mentorship is so powerful. Yeah. Well, not another shameless plug, but my partner is actually starting for that particular reason, a website called Our Queer History, which is like a timeline, uh, kind of like a easy to access timeline, where, which breaks up queer history into social, medical, and business. And it's yeah. kind of like you could just, it's in the works right now, but you, so it's easy to just like go and see like the, the history um, and people can add 
add their add things that they feel are missing or share stories about how that particular event affected them but for that very reasons because our because our history is not is being lost and actively erased um or like yeah. actively trying to be erased so that's um so that's yeah it's just another you know um th another yeah because they realize you know the same issue and they're trying to combat that but yeah and so yeah, like I said, this issue, this conversation and this top this is near to my heart for more reasons than one. Um, so, um, yeah. And what was I know you said you're in Missouri earlier. Where Did you come out in Missouri? Yeah. So I'm actually from small town Connecticut and I came out oh. in Connecticut and okay. I live in Missouri now where my uh, fiance is in medical school. Gotcha. I was going to say that sounds like it would be torture coming out at 15 in missouri no offense missouri but <laughs> offense intended to missouri now that i'm here i can say we deserve it yeah i mean i'm trying to be polite to people who listen who are from missouri but maybe there you need to hear it people in missouri it's the culture versus the structures the people like i'm in st louis the people here are lovely a lot of people with great hearts the politicians here are taking a yeah. pretty intense vendetta against trans people, but it's not the people. A lot of the people are actually very cool. Yeah, which is, yeah, exactly. It's 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 just, it's so messed up that I, it's, we could go in a whole nother, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, we're, I mean, we're here today to talk about trans inclusion and why it matters, you know, can, you, you know, give us a quick overview of what it means to be transgender, because I don't think a lot of people know, like people like hear it on the news all the time now and they're like the trans people are made out to be these like boogie people who are like out to get your kids um and i mean it's just not true so could you once or what clear and what trans means what yeah. means to be transgender absolutely there's definitely this perspective that we're like i'm the boogeyman hiding under your bed waiting to steal your gender when you fall asleep yeah I promise, trans people don't care about anyone else's identities so i actually have a metaphor that i love to use to explain being trans that i think will hopefully be helpful with some people who might be a little newer to this or people who just need help explaining it to others so essentially we have two words first that i'll start with which is gender and sex Sex is biological. That's all the different like body parts that you have. And sex is not nearly as binary as we think it is. And you all should look up Cade Hildreth. They do a phenomenal amount of research and, and talking about that. But so in general, it's, it's biology. It's the body that you have. Your gender is your internal sense of being male or female or both or something else. And so that's your internal and your external kind of feelings and way you identify and the way your body shows up. So we're going to imagine that when someone is born, they're born sitting into one of two types of chairs, a firm, tall stool and a soft, squishy armchair. And this chair is going to represent your biological sex. So we've all sat down before. When you first sit down, you feel the chair you're sitting in. And if it's comfortable, you kind of stop feeling it. You're not constantly aware of how that chair feels on your body. So if it's comfortable, you, you're not really aware of it all the time. And most people don't feel their chairs. They are yeah. comfortable to stay there for forever. They just don't feel their chairs. There's nothing wrong with that. And that identity is called cisgender or having a gender identity that is the same as your biological sex. It just means being comfortable in the assumptions that were made about you based on your biological sex, just the assumptions about what your identity is, not the assumptions about what that identity means. So that's cisgender. 
Now we've all sat in a chair that's uncomfortable before, right? And this feeling of discomfort can be really distracting or downright painful for a lot of trans and non-binary people. And that's called gender dysphoria. And it's that just uncomfortable in your chair or in your body. And there's also a shift to include language around gender euphoria, which says it's not all about how do I get from a negative 10 to a zero. I also want to go from a zero to a 10. I want to feel joyful in my body and in my chair. So sometimes people will move their chair and they identify as what's called transgender, which just means having a gender identity that is different than the sex you were assigned at birth. And sometimes people will want to sit in a chair that's a little bit softer than a stool or a little taller than an armchair or one type of chair one day and a different type of chair a different day. Some people will say, well, I just don't get it. No matter what chair I sit in, I'm uncomfortable. I'd rather just stand up. People can identify as gender fluid or agender, all these things that fall under this umbrella term non-binary, which just means not one of the two binary identities, male or female. So yeah, that's a really quick crash course on all things trans and non-binary and labels, because I know that can be really confusing. Yeah. And I mean, oh, like like labels and pronouns, which is another thing that's like be under attack for some reason, for like for God knows why. Um, I was, gosh, I was looking at, or I saw a meme the other day when that said something like along the lines of, you know, if pronouns, just just the next time some, like a very conservative Christian or religious person is saying pronouns don't matter, just like refer to God and she, her pronouns and see how fast (laughs) pronouns matter to them. Um, Because, yeah, it it is really important. Um, And yeah, and you you definitely have to have a lot of, you know, a lot of conversation right now going on around trans issues um, and transgender people. And a lot of those conversations are definitely not always comfortable in any way, shape, or form. But they are really important to have. Um, why do you think it is important to have these conversations? And why should we have them with our colleagues, even, you know, or friends or colleagues, even if you are not working with a trans person or not around or on a daily basis or around trans people on a daily basis? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. One that I get all the time. And it's something that always makes me laugh a little bit when people say like, well, I get this in theory, but you know, I don't know any trans people. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter. There are no trans people. My company has, you know, 20,000 employees, but there's no trans people here. And I just, I have to laugh at that because yeah. it's just statistically impossible that there are improbable yeah. set that you don't know any trans people. It's more likely that you haven't met any trans people who feel comfortable sharing that with you. That's not to say like you're a bad person. It's just they're they're not going to come out. Um, And the statistics behind this only for not just trans, but all LGBTQ, only 30% of LGBTQ people as of a survey done last year were fully out in their workplaces. So talking about in the workplace, only a third of the LGBTQ people are open to everyone about their identity and their experiences. And that's tiny. And so, A, if you feel like you don't need to have these conversations because you don't know anyone, you definitely do know people and they're doing like mental calculations, waiting to figure out if you are a safe person to come out to. I'm always running those tabs on the people around me, especially now in Missouri, where I am, to figure out who is a safe person. And, you know, in thinking through why we have these conversations at work and why we have them in general, trans people, this is something that is not 
being talked about by a lot of the major news outlets uh, nearly as much as it should be. But trans people have been under a vicious attack for the last few years, particularly in the last two or three years. And last year, there were hundreds of anti-trans bills proposed and passed that did everything from, you know, take away people's access to hormones, to ban them from sports, to putting parents in jail for supporting their kids. This year, as of mid-January, we had already passed the number of bills proposed from 2022 in about, I think it was 25 days. By January 25th, we had passed the number of bills. There have already been hundreds of bills proposed in the U.S. And imagine that, you know, our mental health and all of our things and experiences are like an invisible backpack that we're all wearing. All of these bills, all of these attacks go in our invisible backpack like rocks. The trans and the queer people that you know are carrying this weight on them and it is crushing us. Yeah. It is something that so few people like know about and talk about and ask about besides the people who are either directly affected or directly causing it. It's terrifying and horrifying. So having these conversations, these base level visibility conversations, making sure everyone knows what's going on, knows how to act with empathy, it's a lot driven by misinformation. And so I think one of the most powerful things that we can do in any platform we can, right, in the workplace, in schools, in hospitals, in our, our around our kitchen tables, combating that misinformation with the right stories, with information, with letting people ask questions, that's where a lot of this change is happening that's going to fight a lot of these bills. Yeah, I mean, which such yeah, storytelling is the best way in getting to know people and you know, just being like, Yeah, no, you're a normal person just like me. I mean, unfortunately, just yesterday, Utah banned gender affirming care for anyone under 18, and the governor signed it, which is just just scary. That, and that in particular was really challenging because. The governor of Utah previously last year had rejected, had vetoed a trans sports ban. And his logic behind it was he said, I don't understand what's going on here, but he said there are seven trans athletes competing at a high school level right now. Never has so much hate been directed towards so few. I don't understand what these kids are going through, but I want them to live. Yeah. And he made this powerful statement. And so many people were like, is, you know, this might be a sign the tides are turning that, and he's a Republican. Yeah. He said, you know, someone's on our side. And for him to then make something that is even more likely going to have life or death consequences for a lot of trans youth, it was really disheartening to hear him make that decision. I think likely he's been under a lot of pressure to change his stance, but that was in particular a really challenging bill to see go through yesterday. Yeah. I mean, it's just so disheartening. It's, you know, I can't imagine having to live, well, like 18 years in, you know, as feeling like you're in the wrong body. Yeah. And I mean, at a certain point, it's also really very, I mean, it's never too late to transition and then, you know, be happy. But at a certain point, it gets a lot more difficult to do it successfully. Yes, if people are worried about permanent impacts that hormones might have, waiting until 18 isn't a hormonally neutral time, right? There, I went through a puberty that I did not want to go through. I couldn't yeah. start hormones until I was 21. And I had to have surgeries to counteract the puberty that I was not supposed to go through. And that, like, 
I was having permanent effects of those hormones that I didn't want to be on. And I think it's funny because our goal in banning those hormones that we say is that our worst fear is that people feel uncomfortable in their bodies because of changes that they weren't anticipating or that don't align with their gender identity. Like, I think that's what's funny is what people are describing that they're trying to avoid is gender dysphoria anticipated 20 years in the future versus current stated actual gender dysphoria that is happening now. Like it's very, it's very funny in a sad sort of way. Well, it's very much like, oh, kids don't know what they're talking about. You don't want to like, you know, they're going to, you know, it's so flippant. Like one day they are, you know, they want to be a firefighter and the next day they want to be a like a doctor. It's like, no, it's not that simple when it comes to one's gender. Like you don't just make wake up one day and think I'm just going to do this. Like, yes. And you also, no one in their right mind would, uh, I mean, do this now, especially just be like, yeah, I want to become one of the most hated people, you yes. know, in, like, and I want to be a target for death threats and possible murder. And yeah, that sounds like a great thing as a little kid that you'd want to do. Yeah, we don't do it unless we are absolutely certain. And every step along the way tells us not to. Nobody ever was like, oh, you want to be trans? That's a great idea. I don't think I was ever told that. Ever. Yeah, I, there's this argument that p- parents who are giving their kids the gender affirming care that they need are like, oh, pushing it on their kids and like, you know, like, you should be trans. It's like, I, no, no parent, like, no parent is doing that. There are parents who are loving and supportive of their trans children, but no parent is being like disappointed that their kid turned out to be, oh, I don't want to say no, but. I'm pretty sure most, most. 99%. <laughs> yeah. 99.9% are not out there being like, darn, my kid isn't trans or yeah. yeah. Like it's not some, it's not some cool trend, you know, like trans kids are not like the hot new accessory that every liberal family wants, Yes, but the way that some conservatives or some out there would make it out to be, um, I mean, and I, I we touched a little bit on this earlier, but we have to go back to the the other hot button topic that comes up, not just with like trans issues, but just like today in general. And I think as a matter of, I, I just, I don't know, but like when it comes to pronouns, like, again, like there's so much conversation about it and who should share their pronouns. Is that something you think everyone should be doing? Yeah, it's a great question. And my in my dream world, everyone is able to share their pronouns if they want to. My goal is not for everyone to be required to share their pronouns. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple of reasons why I think it matters that people do, why people do. First thing I'll say is that trans people did not invent pronouns. Yeah. I have a lot of people come to me and say like, oh, well, you know, if you want to have pronouns, that's fine, but it's not for me. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, are you like one of the non-binary people that I know who prefers to just use a name and not pronouns? Or can I call you she or he? And they would say like, oh, well, of course you could call me she, but I don't have pronouns. And I'm like, okay, cool. I want to call your first grade teacher and we can cry together. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Like, what? Yes, we all have pronouns. Trans people did not invent them. Trans people started to normalize sharing your pronouns so that people know how to refer to you. And so, you know, there are a lot of reasons why it makes a difference people share their pronouns. The first and the reason why I like to ask people's pronouns is because, right, like if I walked up to someone on the street and I was like, all right, let's see, we got a plaid shirt, we got a beard, Steve. 
that would be socially like a really weird thing for me to do, right? To make some random guesses about someone's name based on their appearance. I feel the same way about pronouns. Sure, I could make an educated guess based on your hair length and your name, but I'm not guaranteed to get it right. And it's it's not fun for either of us if I get it wrong. I'd yeah. rather just get it right the first time. So that's the easiest reason I ask is because I want to know what someone's pronouns are and I don't by guessing. And you know, a reason why it matters for allies to do it is A, because it normalizes it, right? When we moved to Zoom and I put my pronouns in my Zoom name, everybody started private messaging me saying, what does that mean? Why do you have that in there? I probably haven't been asked that in over a year at this yeah. point. I still have people ask if they should be doing it, but it doesn't immediately identify me as an outsider or as a trans person. And it also, for allies, again, in particular, it indicates that someone is an ally. So mm -hmm. I'm always doing mental math, figuring out, am I safe in this situation? Is this person a supportive person? Um, and when someone shares their pronouns, in my mind, I'm like, okay, take a deep breath. Like, this is a safe person. Yeah. And this is on a level of, it's such a small thing that indicates allyship in such a big way. If I'm applying for a job or anyone that I'm doing any type of coaching with is applying for a job, if the job application portal does not have a spot to put in your pronouns, or if the recruiter emailing someone does not have their pronouns in their email signature, I will say, do not apply. I will close that website because I'll say, if the easiest thing to change, the smallest detail to ask or to add is not worth doing for you, I can't imagine how you would respond if I ask for something a little bit bigger than that. If I ask for you to stand up to me to a coworker yeah. or to include something in the insurance, like if you're not willing to add one syllable to the end of how you introduce yourself, there's it's unlikely that you're going to you know do something uh, even bigger. And so it really makes a difference in showing that you're an ally, which is also why it's great to not require it because it's a choice that people yeah. have to make to choose to be allies, to not be required to. Because I also, if I know that I'm going to a company where it's required to share their pronouns, then I, I know that there are people who don't want to have their pronouns in there, but have to because they were made to. So I can't use that signal. And there might be people who are questioning or in the closet, or there are a lot of languages other than English that don't have gender pronouns. So I work with someone from Finland who he, he says to me, listen, I let people call me he because that's what they're the most comfortable with. But we don't have gender pronouns in in Finland. It, it means nothing to me. I didn't learn English for the first 35 years of my life. You could call me he, you could call me she. As long as you're making eye contact, yeah. and I know you're talking about me. Great. But it means nothing to me. So there are a wow. lot of reasons that aren't hateful that people yeah. won't share their pronouns, which is why I love making it a choice. That is such a great point. And yeah, and, I've, and I, you know, when you talked about that, being forced to do this, I think of our annual conference and how there are a small handful of people who are there because they are being forced by HR because yeah. they because of some kind of slip up and like they're like you need you need DEI you know you need diverse equity inclusion training and like you know um, and those people either don't show up to things or they show up and they are combative and they don't like take anything in and it's just like they're not coming willingly. Um, they're not coming to learn like willingly to learn anything. They're being punished. So they now see DEI as like, you know, or this is punishment or something that negative uh -huh. that they have to do. Um, and yeah, and, and oh, I have had, I feel like it was someone in one of a podcast or a webinar that I did. If you're that presenter and you're listening, I'm sorry, I forgot your name, but um, they said they, you know, said, you know, it's about calling people in instead of calling people out. Yeah. 
So like, you know, not, you know, or like going with grace when it comes to pronouns, you know, and giving, like, you know, like you said, not everybody understands them um, and not everybody is comfortable sharing their pronouns because of their life journey or where they are. Um, so like, yeah, making making it mandatory or like required definitely is not the way to go. Yeah. And I would add, I think that it should be required to use the pronouns that people share. Exactly. If they share it. A respectful thing. And one bit of nuance that I'll add about the call in versus call out, because I think it's really helpful, right? Call ins, there is so much of a place and a need for that, which is essentially to say like a call out. We're familiar with that term. It's to put somebody on the spot in front of everyone to say like, you can't say that that's transphobic. Stop being terrible, whatever it is, like put somebody on blast. And that tends to make people shut down and stop talking and embarrassed or dig their heels in. It's not a great moment for learning. Calling in is to pull someone aside later and say, oh, you know, I heard you say this. It didn't quite sit right with me. Let's talk about it. I want to know where you were coming from. I want to talk about why that hurts people. And I think that a lot of situations, there is a place for that, but it also puts as our priority, the person who is saying hurtful things. So if I'm in a meeting and there's somebody who's going on a tirade yeah. about pronouns, and I know there are trans people in that room, or even if I don't know there are trans people, but I, I know that it's a hurtful tirade, my goal is not to make sure that I don't hurt the feelings of the person who's railing on yeah. about what the transgender people are doing. And so a call out is, I like to frame it as an interruption. When a situation needs to stop because mm-hmm. it's impacting people, my priority is not to protect the person who's hurting people. Yeah. My priority is to stop that situation. And then I'll have a call-in conversation later if it is safe and appropriate to do so. But I think that making sure we honor that there's a place for both of those so we don't always prioritize people who are hurting others, I think is really important too. That Yeah, that is a really great point. Um, yeah, just... Because you, yeah, being supportive of the people who, you know, can't really, you know, yeah, it's very nuanced. It's a fine line, or, you know, with, yeah, it's, I mean, like, like all things in life, especially DEI, um, like, it's, it's, it's can be really tricky. And that is a great point about not putting like the person who's being abusive to others first, um, but, but still, yeah, trying to pull them in in a way that yeah beneficial to everybody Does that makes sense yeah. like i mean um like it make like the i think of like the curb cut effect you know where it's like they put the curb cuts in the road for um people with like wheelchairs and stuff and how that really has helped other a lot of other people like people with strollers or people who are traveling um could you like better explain what the curb cut effect is or what I'm trying to say <laughs> and how it ties into the equity prong of DEI? Yeah, absolutely. So the curb cut effect, like you started to mention, is is this idea that when we make we advocate for changes for one group of people that end up benefiting a lot of people. So curb cuts are, you know, when you walk around a city, there's the cut in the curb designed for people with wheelchairs and mobility aids ended up helping people with strollers, suitcases, wheelbarrows, all sorts of stuff. So curb cut effect is when it ends up benefiting a large group of people. So something like pronouns, for example, I was doing a talk at a company and I was talking about sharing pronouns and there was this woman and she was so excited about talking about making it normal to share pronouns. And she was like, can I do that? And I was like, yeah, that would be great. And she said, 
My name is Alex and I work in sales and everyone, I work mostly over email. Everyone assumes that I am a man and getting to share my pronoun. Stop that. She was so excited because lots of people have gender neutral names, right? That's another great group that are supported by sharing pronouns or things like gender neutral bathrooms are designed with non-binary and trans people in mind, but support parents with kids. They support people who are disabled and have a caregiver, people who need a little extra space or privacy, like all of these changes that we are advocating for in the trans community, making fewer assumptions about people's identities and gender roles based on their expression. These are going to benefit everyone. Uh, Some of the things are lower or higher lift, but they're a high impact for all of us. And I think that this logic can also be defined, applied to every social justice movement, which is that we are all, you know, on the same team. As we stop thinking about masculinity and femininity in such a broad way, like the way that that act. Uh, excuse me, the way that that impacts the women's liberation movement, the way that that impacts like you know, intersectionality and black women, the way that their femininity is policed is really intense. And like all of these movements are deeply intertwined and all of the changes that every group is advocating for will benefit everyone, except for the people who are, you know, benefiting from broken systems that are hurting people. Uh, But in general, everyone who is fighting for the rights of some group the, the work that we do, it all lifts all of us up together. You know, a rising tide lifts all boats. And so there are certain things that I say, you know, these things we need to do, like fighting these bills, that's kind of patching the bottom of the yeah. trans rights boats. Because even if the tide goes up, we're sinking. And no matter how much water you add to the ocean, we're still sinking. But in general, these things like sharing pronouns, like inclusive policies, inclusive spaces, they're a rising tide lifting all boats. Yeah, that's a great point. And it, I mean, it brings me back to what we were just talking about, about that calling out and calling in, because it's just like, well, yeah, calling out this obnoxious guy who's saying trans, anti-trans things, he's probably upsetting a lot of other people in the room. So shutting him up, yeah. <laughs> shutting them up um, would probably benefit the entire room um, and be a good way to be an ally um, or, you know, to not just trans people, but, you know, everybody else. And any other marginalized group or oppressed group that this that jerk could be offending um and just being you know yeah being there and using your voice you know to raise all types um or yeah and um yeah well i'm so sad that to say this but this is the this is the last question we have time for and it's been such a great conversation but i think this is a perfect question to uh, end on um and especially since we were just what we were just talking about but what else can people be doing to be good allies yeah absolutely so when i think about allyship I I think that I like to break it down into three buckets, which is knowledge, language, and action. And so language, we already kind of started to touch on with pronouns. That's one of the big things. And if you use the wrong pronouns for someone, you know, don't make a whole big deal out of it. Just say, oh, yeah, well, as he was saying, so sorry, she, move on. Like, don't start crying. Don't talk about how hard it is for you. Just, yep, so sorry, she, move on. That's all it needs to be. It's a quick correction and moving on and making sure you're getting it right moving forward. So that's language. In the knowledge bucket, 
A, like we started to talk about earlier, hearing different stories is the best way to counteract different narratives or misinformation that you're learning about a group of people. The more stories from a group and from a group is important, not just cisgender people playing trans characters on TV, but hearing from trans authors, trans actors, trans storytellers, their stories. That's going to help you learn a lot about the many different ways someone can be trans. So in books or movies or TV shows, however you like to consume your media, having a diverse range of stories and knowledge wise, being informed about what's happening with these anti-trans bills. So Aaron Reed is a resource that I always like to share, E-R-I-N-R-E-E-D. And she has a newsletter, social media, shares a lot of really up-to-date information about all the anti-trans bills and what action is needed and, you know, where to direct support. So that's, uh, you know, staying informed is challenging because it's, it's a lot of heavy stuff, but it's so important to know what's going on and to be able to say, oh, I have a trans friend in Wisconsin. I should text him yeah. after the bill dropped and make sure that they're doing okay because I'm sure that they're not. Um, so, you know, staying informed. And then in the action category, one of the biggest things to do is to just stand up when you hear transphobic comments. And obviously when you hear something outrightly transphobic or homophobic or racist, it feels very obvious in that situation to stand up and say something. But where I'm going to encourage people also to say something is in situations where people are like making jokes. A lot of transphobia has been spread through comedy, quietly seeping in a lot of jokes in TV shows or movies that are extremely popular. The butt of the joke is, well, the man is in a dress or someone was tricked by a transgender person. These they're they're just jokes. And that's why they've been able to go under the radars because people can say, well, it's not that serious. It's just a joke. They have been informing people's beliefs. That has laid a lot of the groundwork. If people's only exposure to trans people is a trans character who, you know, decides to compete in women's sports so that they can win all of the medals and events, of course they're going to have that belief that that's what trans people are like. That's all that we've heard about it. And so standing up against those jokes, whether it's in the locker room or the boardroom or behind closed doors or in public, saying, oh, I'm not sure I get that. Could you explain the punchline a little more? I'm not sure why that's funny. Could you explain that to me? Finding a way that feels authentic to you. It doesn't have to be a really serious confrontation either. It can just be like, hey, like, you know, if somebody says their pronouns are attack helicopter, I'll say like, wow, I'm so excited for you to come up with an original joke. I can't wait for the day that like, you try to be funny on your own. You know, you could find a way to to make it funny to still be in that banter. Doesn't have to be really serious. It certainly can be, but just find a way that feels authentic to you to step in in those moments. That makes a really big difference. Thank you for that. And I, I mean, I instantly thought of the movie Ace Ventura. Remember, mm-hmm. uh, like, yeah, that uh, that horrible um, ending to that first movie, where it's just like yeah. that. It's just like that. You know, that was people like, oh, that was so long ago, but it's still, it's still fresh in the mind. Like, uh, like it's that popular. sentiment is still, yeah, still very popular um, and still very hurtful. Um, and yeah, but also speaking of stories, I was gonna say to our listeners can't you can't see this, but Ben's wall is covered with a lot of uh, awesome books, um, a lot of amazing stories, and there's I keep looking at the reclaimed um, being two spirits right right behind yeah reclaiming two spirits right behind you the whole time. So it's just like that's uh, so funny that well not. Well, as you were sharing about sharing stories and like, yes, there's, uh, if you, I was like, if only you could see that Ben is really, um, you know, living or walking the walk. 
and yes. talking the talk um, and reading and reading a lot of great a uh, lot of great stories and sharing a lot of great stories. Um, well, thank you so much again for this wonderful conversation, Ben. It was an absolute pleasure. Um, to, it's always a pleasure to meet a fellow Ben, but also <laughs> <laughs> just to have this conversation and hopefully, you know, turn the tides a little bit on, make it a little bit more positive world for, you know, transgender people and non-binary people and, you know, and yeah. And yeah. So again, thank you so much. And yeah, for sharing your story and for sharing your knowledge. Yeah, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and if anybody wants to reach out to me afterwards as well, you can find my website at bgtranstalks.com. It's not very original. It's very descriptive. Uh, I'm trans and I'm keeping it simple. <laughs> Yeah, keep it simple. BG Trans Talks. Uh, and if you want to find me on social media where I talk a lot about trans issues, positive messages, and books and TV recommendations, uh, my username there is pseudobro because I'm your trans older brother. And so it's P-S-E-U-D-O-B-R-O on all social media platforms. Nice. Well, thank you again so much, Ben, and hope you have a great rest of 2023. Thank you so much for having me. You too. Thank you so much, Ben, for this wonderful conversation and wonderful podcast. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about transgender inclusion, contact Ben at bgtranstalks at gmail.com. New episodes of the Forum podcast are available at forumworkplaceinclusion.org forward slash podcast. You can also find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and Stitcher. Thank you again for listening. Have a great day. Thank you again for listening to the Forum and Workplace Inclusion podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get updates and latest episodes. Also, tell us what you think by reviewing our podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. For more information, visit us at forumworkplaceinclusion.org or search Workplace Forum on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you very much and have a great day. The Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast is recorded at Augsburg University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. One of the most diverse private colleges in the Midwest, Augsburg University offers more than 50 undergraduate majors and nine graduate degrees to 3,000 students of diverse backgrounds at its campus in the vibrant center of the Twin Cities and nearby Rochester, Minnesota locations. Augsburg educates students to be informed citizens, thoughtful stewards, critical thinkers, and responsible leaders. Augsburg education is defined by an excellence in the liberal arts and professional studies guided by the faith and values of the Lutheran Church and shaped by its urban and global settings. Learn more at augsburg.edu.